0: Again, for the second week in a row, I know we're breaking protocol here, but uh, we are not going to be in Romans, we are going to be in Mark. This morning, we're going to be looking at several different verses of Scripture and passages of Scripture, but our main text, I'm sorry, not Mark, uh, John 19. So if you'll open up your Bible to John 19. The verse we're going to be focusing on really is just one, but we're going to give some context in a little bit. And because I'm getting older... I had to bring these things with me this morning. That's right, I crossed that threshold where I need a pair of readers. I called my folks the other day to let them know. They laughed at me. said, welcome to the club. I feel uh, like I'm part of a very prestigious club. But um, yeah, no shame, no shame. I just feel like it's going to make me look a little smarter up here when I put on glasses and take them off. And I had a pastor one time who had him on a chain. And uh, he was just doing this all the time, all the time, you know. But uh, hopefully that won't be the case uh, today. But uh, today we're going to be... Uh, you notice this painting that's in this picture. It's a, a very famous painting, a picture of Jesus on trial and Pontius Pilate... The Roman governor, um, presenting him to the people and, and asking the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the people why it is that they wanted to crucify, prosecute, and crucify Jesus. And um, very famous picture. There's a verse in the passage that we're going to read, in verse actually. Um, 12, where in chapter 19, verse 12, where the people say to Pontius Pilate, who is a foreign, a a Roman governor who's there in Jerusalem, who's come to rule on this matter, and they say to him, You are no friend of Caesar's if you do not prosecute and crucify Jesus. So, this is a picture of that scene. And this statement that Pilate makes, or I'm sorry, that the people make to Pilate, you are no friend of Caesar's, is one that we have to wrestle with today as well. The question of Pilate's loyalty to Caesar and the choice he was forced to make rings true for all today also who encounter the gospel. We have to make a decision not just whether or not we want Jesus to save us from our sins, but we must also decide if we are willing to subject to Him as King of our lives, as Sovereign Lord of our lives. And so the question of Christ's rightful rule over the human heart is the one that I place before you today, and one that... If you're here and you're a Christian, you think, well, I've, I've already made that decision in my life. It is a daily decision. It's one that we will always have to make. We will we'll, we'll always have to choose who we give our heart to. Who's going to be the king of our hearts? So we're going to read a small swath of Scripture here, starting in chapter 18, verse 28. So follow along in your Bibles. I'm reading from the New American Standard The Bible says in verse 28 of chapter 18, They led Jesus therefore from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium in order that they might not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Pilate therefore went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Pilate therefore said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death, that the word of Jesus might be fulfilled which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Pilate therefore entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this on your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered in verse 35, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you up to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting, that I might not be delivered up to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate therefore said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You have said correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to bear witness of the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, verse 38 says, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release someone for you at the Passover, so do you wish then that I release to you the king of the Jews? Therefore they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. Chapter 19, verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him blows in the face. And Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. Jesus therefore came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When therefore the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify, crucify. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by that law he ought to die, because he made himself out to be the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard this statement, he was the more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Pilate therefore said to him, You do not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me up to you has the greater sin. As a result of this, Pilate made efforts to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Everyone who makes himself out to be a king opposes Caesar." When Pilate therefore heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold, your king. They therefore cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So He then delivered him to be crucified. I know that this is a lot of Scripture to look at in one morning. And we're not going to look at every verse in detail. We're really just going to focus on verse 12 and and what's going on here. And it's helpful to remember some conversations that Jesus had previous to this situation with His disciples. And not just with His disciples, but also with His accusers. There were moments when His accusers would ask Him about uh, who it is that they are to be loyal to. Should they be loyal to Caesar or to God? And Jesus says, He asks them whose, whose picture is on the coin. I believe this is in Matthew 22. 15 through 22, whose picture is on the coin? And they say it's Caesar's. And Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar and to God what is God's. I mean, this is a concept that we talk about today, that we point back to today when we talk about how is a Christian to think about authority, the authority of the government, the authority of Christ, the way that we live uh, in a environment, in a culture with a specific type of king or monarch or some type of representative government. We use this story all the time and Jesus' answered to say, render to Caesar what is Caesar, to God what is God's. But then the question remains, what belongs to Caesar, rightfully, and what belongs to God, rightfully? Jesus purposefully doesn't answer their question directly. He, he puts it back upon their conscience. Um, Many times uh, as a youth pastor, when I was in youth ministry, uh, teens are always asking about questions of conscience. I have students in at GCU who, who ask me, as I'm teaching church history and theology, and they ask me, Professor Panther, what is your view? How do you interpret this? And instead of being the, the Bible answer man, right, I want to be the the Bible question man. (laughs) I want them to deal with Scripture. I want the Holy Spirit to work in their heart, and I want them to grow from that and come to an understanding on, uh, on their own. And I believe that's what Jesus was doing here when His accusers asked Him, Who should we be loyal to? Because He also teaches us, as Paul does also in the New Testament, to respect the authorities because they are placed over us by God. The whole idea of government and authority and rule and law and order is something that God has put in place. So he's had many conversations leading up to this with his disciples and with his accusers. And the relationship between church and state is one that that we battle with today and that we wonder about today. And so when we come to this story and he's interacting with Pilate and there's this idea of the relationship between two types of authority, Pilate's asking him questions about his authority. What kind of authority does he have? What am I responsible for? Where, Where are those lines of demarcation between authority? And we find that it all comes to a head in verse 12, where Pilate can no longer dodge the question. He can no longer play it safe. He has to decide. And the reason that he has to decide is because The Jews who were accusing Jesus and wanted to see Him crucified said this to Pilate. They said, If you release Him, you are no friend to Caesar. Immediately, immediately his livelihood, his life, his reputation is now on the chopping block. And this is where it all changes. See, Jesus was offensive for many different reasons. Pilate is being told by Jesus' accusers that he's not just a religious leader. He's not just a faith guru, okay? Who's selling some snake oils and, you know, stuff that. He, he's relatively harmless in the grand scheme of things. He's just making trouble in our city. And we would love to see him exiled, right? It's not as though they're just saying that. They're saying more about Jesus. They're saying there's, there's more that you have to deal with when, when you deal with who Jesus claims that He is than just a good teacher. No, it's more than that. They're telling Pilate he's not just a, claiming to be a religious leader that is a savior of his own people. No, it's much broader and far-reaching than that. He's claiming to be King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He's claiming to be from God Himself. Jesus was offensive to these two groups for specific reasons. He was offensive to the Jews, which we've already read in Romans a few weeks ago. He's offensive to the Jews because He was claiming to be a Savior. If you turn in your Bible, keep your place there in John 19, turn over in your Bible... Just a few pages to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 verse 30 through 33. Listen to what it, listen to the scenario. Verse 30, I am the I and the father are one, Jesus says. The Jews took up stones again to stone him. Why? Because of what he just said. He said, I and, the Father, I and the Father are one. We are the same. We are one. So they're getting ready to stone him. Verse 32, Jesus answered, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, listen to this, but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself to be God. Mark 2, in Mark 2, verses 3 through 7. The story of a man who's being brought to Jesus to be healed. He's being brought by his friends. Verse 3, Mark chapter 2, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? The the major beef that the Jews had with Jesus up to the day of His crucifixion was that He was claiming to have abilities and authority that only God the Father has. That only the Creator of the universe, that only the God of Israel in the Old Testament, only He had the ability to forgive sins. That spiritual Savior, only God is a spiritual Savior. And here this man is claiming to be a, our Savior, forgiving sins, pardoning sins. Who is He? That's the, the first group. But, However, Jesus' sovereignty and His identity goes even further than that, than saving His people from their sins. He offended the Jews by claiming He was Savior. He, decla- he offended the Romans because He claimed to be Lord. He claimed to be king. He claimed to be sovereign. So one of these beefs had to do with Jesus' spiritual authority. The other one had to do with his earthly authority. And I'm afraid that sometimes we can try to, people, try to live lives, even Christian lives, by giving Jesus spiritual authority but not give him, giving Him earthly authority. Not giving Him access to everything in our tangible lives. Many people will, will make a public profession of faith and there'll be a, a time in our life where we make a decision for Christ, as we call this. And when we think about Him and, and his, the benefits of the cross, we think, we think otherworldly, we think heaven But Jesus did not come to just be our heavenly and spiritual Savior. He came to be our earthly King and our Lord. So that every part of our life here and now is subject to Him, is given to Him. Personal relationships, the way we use our hands and our feet and our minds to earn a living, the things that we do as a family, the things that we do as a church, it has to be all submitted to Him here and now as well. And so this question for us about our loyalties ring true for us today just as as they did for Pilate and just as they did for everyone in this story. Notice that they say, we don't want you to release Jesus the one who's claiming to be one with the Father, the one who claims to be able to forgive sins, the one who claims the authority to do these things, we would rather have this man called Barabbas, who the Bible says was a thief. In other words, he was rightly condemned. There was no evidence to present against Jesus. There was no evidence. He didn't commit any crime. But Barabbas did. And what's interesting... Is in this story we have God's children Israel crying out, "Crucify Him!" Talking about Jesus, give us Bar Abbas, Bar Abbas, meaning son Bar Abbas, meaning father. His name Barabbas meant son of the father. And there were many people that would go by that type type of name. Simon son of John or in some of your translations it says Simon bar Jonah. That was a way to talk about someone being the son of so and so. We have different ways of doing that today, Jefferson, Johnson, you know, whatever. But isn't it ironic that they're saying we reject we reject Jesus, give us the son of the father? <laughs> isn't that crazy? how poetic God's sovereignty is and how it works out. So they reject Him. Jesus would not have been crucified had He not been accused of claiming lordship. This is really important. Jesus could have wiggled His way out of this when being questioned by Pilate About authority and lordship and kingship. If Jesus had just said, All I'm claiming here is to save my people from their sins by being their spiritual savior, God has given me the ability as a holy prophet to forgive his people, the Hebrews, of their sins. I'm just a prophet. I have no problem with you, I have no beef with you. The Romans, I don't care about. I don't care about the rest of the world. I'm just here for the Hebrews. That's not what Jesus did. He would have not been crucified had He not been accused of claiming lordship. But because He claimed lordship and kingship and sovereignty and authority, He was crucified. And only through His death on the cross and the shedding of His blood on the cross can sinners be forgiven. Can His accusers, His very accusers, and those who said, Give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. Only because of His sacrifice can our sins be forgiven. I find it ironic today that people today want to have the benefits of Calvary's cross, that is, the event, Jesus dying on the cross. We want to have the benefits of Christ's cross Without having to submit to the slain Lamb of God as Savior and Lord. We just want the Savior part. We want Him to die in our place on the cross. But the whole point of that, the whole point of that is that He has sovereign Lordship over our lives, not just that He saves us from our sins. So a couple of principles at play here. They're not going to be on your screen, so you can write these down in shorthand if you want. Number one, we learn that Jesus will not share His throne or crown or however you want to describe that with anyone. He won't share it with Pilate. He won't give it up. He won't share it with our human hearts either. The human heart may not give itself to a multiplicity Of kings or lords. Whether that's Jesus and the government, whether that's Jesus and self, whether that's Jesus and religion, He is the rightful King and He won't share His authority with anyone. He died on the cross for your sin and for my sin. And the only Way for us to properly respond to him and his work on the cross is for us to fork over all of our self to him, all of our authority to him. Because the cross confronts us. The cross confronts us in a way that that the Jews are confronting Pilate. Pilate cannot hide from this scenario, he can't get away from it. He wants to so badly he wants to just give Jesus back to them and say you guys deal with him but they say no you have to make a personal decision you are no friend of Caesar's unless you go all the way with this you can't ride the fence and Pilate has to make a choice and we have to make that same choice and it's not just a one time choice it's a choice every day all the time I don't know about you, but I'm faced with that decision every day to serve myself or to serve Christ. To bow before Him and to give everything to Him, to daily surrender to Him, or to hold on to what I think is mine with a tight fist. The second principle is believers will be pressed in life to make decisions about submitting to Christ as Lord. We will be pressed in life over and over and over again And if you're a believer, the Holy Spirit will not stop speaking into your heart about that decision every day. What do we do as Christians when Caesar, that is the state, and Jesus, or the church, can't be friends? This is something that we think about a lot. Many generations before us thought about as well a very popular group of letters written by Pliny the Younger in 112 A.D., written to Trajan, who was the emperor over the Roman world at that time. And this back and forth between Pliny the Younger and Trajan illustrate a couple of things. First of all, it illustrates that the church in 112 A.D. was just as much of a mixed multitude as the church today. What do I mean by that? Jesus talks about the mixture of wheat and tares. Thinking of a field. If you have some weeds, some some tares out in your field, you don't plow up the whole thing, right? The whole crop to get rid of those tares. What you do is you wait. Wait sift them out later on. He's referring to the the mixed multitude. And in the early church, at least in 112 A.D., before persecution was really ramped up, the Roman government would infiltrate church meetings, would find people who were known to be Christians, or at least to... Known to meet with the people that worshipped Jesus, and if you go to Acts two, you can see this is what the early church was doing. They were meeting, going from house to house, meeting with each other. They were taking meals together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. They continued with one mind in the temple, the Bible says. And so, the early church, we get a picture of what they were, what it was like. And so, these were individual Christians who would congregate together as a gathering, as an ecclesia, as a church. One day a week, maybe more than one day a week, but there was a day, the Lord's Day, where they came to celebrate Christ and they would take the Lord's Supper. And by 112 A.D., this was very popular. Everybody knew about the Christians. But things had gotten so bad for the Romans that the pagan temples were starting to shut down. They were starting to close their doors because people were not interested in pagan worship anymore. You know why? Because they were becoming Christians. And in Christianity, there's one king. There's one savior. One God and father of all. Ephesians, Paul's letter to the Ephesians says, there's one baptism, one Lord, one faith. And so, this was a problem for Rome. And so, Trajan wanted reports on these Christians. And Pliny the Younger writes many letters, and one of them stated that in the large cities like Rome and, and Antioch and Alexandria and these other places, many of the pagan temples were closing. But it wasn't just in the major cities, it was in the suburbs, places like Maricopa, right, where people would drive 347 from Naples to Rome. Just kidding. I hope they didn't have to worry about that. But it wasn't just there in the suburbs. It was in the small villages. There were small villages where there were no pagan temples to even be found. And this was a problem because the Roman emperors believed that their success depended upon the favor of the pagan gods. And so... The Roman authorities started infiltrating these churches. And what they found was, by the testimony of Pliny the Younger, he says, look, most of these people, when we go in and we ask them questions and we call them to account, they basically just say, look, we're not worshiping any new king here. We just come and somebody reads this, the Ten Commandments. They read the Ten Commandments in these, many of these groups. Read about how to treat your neighbor, how to live a righteous life, you know, you would, you, would, uh, you would give, they would ask that you would give uh, to the ministry uh, and to the feeding of the, of the hungry and the poor. And they would ask that you, and, and we would take the, the supper together, which was commemorative of Christ's death. But it's no big deal. Pliny said most of the Christians who went to these meetings would say, it's not a big deal. We don't have to continue doing this. We don't want to be in trouble. And they would say, okay, as long as you stop doing it, no problem. Sign here saying that Caesar is king and that Caesar is God and all is forgiven. Pliny says, most of the Christians said, yes, I will do that. There were only a few who refused and those were the ones who were in a lot of trouble. They would be taken to prison. They would be executed. They would be thrown, as history shows us, to wild beasts in the Roman Colosseum. They were made to be spectacles. And then that would get worse over the next two or three hundred years to where finally in 303 A.D. the Diocletian persecution was the last one by any Roman emperor upon the church, and it was known as the Great Persecution. It only lasted about a year. But in that persecution, they would go to these different churches, and they would require the churches to give up their books. You have a copy of the book of Mark? Give it up. You have a copy of one of Paul's epistles? Give it up. And these bishops, these lead preachers who were preachers over other preachers as well, they would give up their books. As long as you didn't harm me, I will give up the Word of God. I'll, give, I'll fork it over. But many Christians didn't do that. Some did. Others didn't. Some refused. And by the end of 304 A.D., there were Christians walking around in the Roman Empire, whether they were in Carthage, Alexandria, Antioch, Rome, anywhere in between, who were missing fingers missing limbs, who had major scars on their faces. They, they bore the marks, like Paul did, of apostleship and as of being a believer. But there were some bishops who didn't have a scratch. And one of those bishops, after the persecution was over, one of those bishops who gave up his books, continued in the ministry... And he started ordaining other bishops. And these other bishops went out into the Roman Empire and they started leading churches and groups of pastors. And there was a group of Christians in Carthage who led what was called the Donatist Controversy. And they were calling into question the validity of these bishops and pastors and priests ministry because they were ordained... By a bishop who gave up his books and didn't have a scratch on him. And they said, somebody else needs to ordain these guys. This is known as the Donatus controversy. This happened for hundreds of years of Christians who were given the, the challenge and the choice, who do we follow as Lord over our life? What is it going to cost us? It will always, whether it's 100 A.D. or 2020, it will always cost a Christian, a follower of Christ, everything. Just because you're not being persecuted in the same way right now, Jesus costs us everything. We must be willing, not just in word only, but indeed to give Him everything. Not just to see him as our spiritual savior, but also to confess him and to follow him as our Lord and our King. And life will press you into corners like the Jews did with Pilate, to where you will have to decide what am I going to do? But we can't ride the fence. At any point in our Christian walk, we can't ride the fence. A person who only believes in Jesus as Savior is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. We live in a dark world, but a person who only believes in Jesus as Savior is no threat to the kingdom of darkness. When the enemy gets nervous it's when we start to give Jesus everything. Lordship. When we follow Him as King. The person who follows Him as Lord is a lethal force against the enemy. And many people draw the line, or Pilate did. The Jews would say, Jesus as a rabbi? Yes. A great teacher? Yes. Yes. To get me through every day, yes. I can read His sayings. I can, I can open up the, the book and, and read what He says. A good teacher, yes. A, a guru, yes. A life coach, yes. Give me Jesus. God? Mmm. No. But you see, he's, he's, he's not God. He's just another prophet. A good one. Helpful, beneficial for me in life. He encourages me. The Jews would say, Rabbi, yes, God, no. The Romans would say, Jewish prophet, relegated to this area, this geographical area with this certain group of people. Jewish prophet, yes. King of kings, Lord of lords, starts to encroach into my kingdom. Where I'm the boss? Nope. You you can't come in here. This is this is my area. The question of Pilate's loyalty to Caesar is just important for us today, because some some folks today, and the temptation is today. To take the view of the Jews and Romans during this time in this story, where we hold him at arm's length, and we say, "This is okay, but this is not. Don't, you can't come in here." Jesus, as the Doobie Brothers once said, is all right. He's all right. Stay in your space. Stay in your lane. Do we do the same thing with Him today? Are you doing the same thing with Him today? I know those challenges come to you on a daily basis as they do me. The question of Pilate's loyalty to Caesar and the choice he was forced to make rings true for all who encounter the gospel today. Only one person can be enthroned over the human heart. It's not about making room in your heart and your life for Jesus. It's not about carving out a compartment of the many compartments that exist in our life and giving Him a place, making room in our heart for Him. You know, with all this COVID over the last year, it's been hard to get like a doctor's appointment. <laughs> Anybody else experienced that? I mean it's like they have certain times like you can't come in and sit in the waiting room, you have to sit out in your car and somebody'll come outside and they'll knock on your window or whatever you got to come in with a mask and all that good stuff and there have been times where we're trying to fit doctors' appointments with our kids and in our family with our schedules and then the doctor's schedules and we end up using language you know kind of like well you know we'll see if we can fit you in or we'll ask can you fit us in hey we, we really need to come to the doctor like next week is there a way you can fit us in and uh you know they look at their schedule and they might say well not this week but next week i can fit you in maybe can you do mornings or afternoons well, I, I'd love to get in there in the morning if I can or in the afternoon if I can because I have work, I have to pick up kids from school and whatever, I have to go shopping. When can you, when can you fit me in? Hmm. The one who died on the cross for our, in our place who shed his blood for us should never have to ask us Where can you fit me in? What part of your life can you fit me into? Can you make some time for me? Can you give me some area of your life where I can be the king of your heart? He should have it all. He should have every square inch, amen? And it's a challenge every day. As we're tempted by the things of the world, as we battle with this heart of flesh that's all about me, me, me all the time, But every day we have the opportunity, and right now we have the opportunity, you have the opportunity to say, Lord, forgive me for the peace of my heart that I've been extending to you, considering what you have done for me on the cross in my place and that you continue to intercede for me before the Father. Lord, I repent and I confess that I've given you a piece of me and not all of me. Would you just give your all to Him today and reinforce that commitment today to Him as we pray in just a moment? And I want you to think about places in your life and maybe right now God is, God is pressing you and you've already thought of, of things in your life that you are not giving over to Him from what, for whatever reason what will you do when, when God and the Holy Spirit press you to answer the same question and to make the same type of decision that Pilate had to make here, how will you respond? Pilate said, it's not worth it. I want my life, I want my earthly life, more than this. I want my stuff, more than this. I want my rule, more than this. I want my rights, my freedom, more than this. And he gave up Jesus. Don't give up Jesus. Let's pray. Father, first, we ask You to forgive us of our sins. That today as we engage Your Word in this text that we read, where we've experienced the movement of your Holy Spirit, God, would there be no doubt or disillusion on our part at all as to what you are calling us to do in the gospel? That you do not call us to give part of what we own, To give a portion of our mind, our thoughts, our energies. That we don't try to relegate one part of our life and relationships that we have. Oh, I'll give God my Sunday. I'll give God my family. I'll give God my relationship with my spouse. But when it comes to work, that's my area. That's my lane. When it comes to spiritual things, I submit to Jesus. But when it comes to earthly things, I have my limitations, my boundaries. Lord, let it not be said of us. Let it not be the case in our heart that our heart would be divided to where we would, in areas of our life, say no to Your Son. but that in the gospel you would show us very clearly what you have provided for us on the cross as your Son died in our place and took all of our sin upon Him. Not some of it. That we would have to continue to try to do works of righteousness and never really know where we stand with you. But He took all of our sin, past, present, and future, and washed us clean providing a once-for-all sacrifice for us. Lord, that that would be reflected in our devotion and in our faith. And Father, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit every day to say yes to Jesus. And that the words of the old hymn, I Surrender All, would ring true every day. That our life would sing, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Thee I freely give. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.